Welcome to episode 43 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Suzanne Picherno. Suzanne is a former corporate professional who lost her hearing over a 30-year period of time. From hearing aid wearer to becoming functionally deaf, she is an example of what can be achieved despite the appearance of obstacles. Today, Suzanne has bilateral cochlear implants and is a passionate advocate for creating hearing awareness. She has a master's in clinical psychology, an MBA, and is a licensed hearing aid specialist. Eddie the Elephant's Magical Ear is her first published book, as well as the first book in the Eddie the Elephant series. And with that, it's my pleasure to welcome again Suzanne to the podcast. So Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with me. Could you start with your story? Um, What is your relationship with hearing loss? Very intimate. Very uh, (laughs) right. It's been a changing one over the years. Um, When I was 12 years old, I remember a nurse was obsessed with me and kept pulling me out of class and putting me this in this little booth and testing my ears. And it was um, highly embarrassing because I didn't know why she kept pulling me out of class and all the kids would look at me. And I got to this point where I simply would sit there and didn't raise my hand for anything because I, I didn't really know what it was about. It wasn't explained to me and it was just, it was embarrassing. But then you just go on to the next grade and it's something Mm -hmm. that is a big passion of mine now. And like I said that later, Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just put that on the little chalkboard for now. I kind of forgot about it, to be quite honest, because I was a very competitive person and I got straight A's. I played sports and intuitively I sat in the front of the classroom. Um, I always was like this. People were always saying, you're so intense. You're so intense. (laughs) And really what I was doing was I was like straining to listen. Mm -hmm. And the odd thing was in college, I studied, um, it was a double major until the very end, but my second major was uh, speech pathology and audiology. And it was mainly because I heard that the professor was a wonderful, wonderful professor, and he was, but I really liked it. And come the end of the year, I found out that I had a hearing loss. And I thought, well, I can't do this if I have a hearing loss. So I brought it down to a minor and it really wasn't until I was like 25 where I found myself saying, what, what, what all the time. And I think it was a little different than most people because it bothered me and I wanted to hear better. And so I went to the um, house, what is it? The house and ear clinic in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they were pretty blunt with me. And they Mm -hmm. said, you have a genetic hearing loss and you will go deaf one day. 
Wow. So, yeah. So <laughs> I got my first set of hearing aids when I was like 25. Wow. And my hearing loss was um, unpredictable, to say the least. Mm-hmm. It would just, for no reason at all, just drop by five decibels. And what's interesting is I was like everybody else. I got used to how I heard and I didn't notice it. Other people noticed it before I did. Mm -hmm. And luckily for me, though, I had a wonderful, wonderful audiologist and she made things happen with those old hearing aids, you know, that we had 30 years ago that were Mm -hmm. just, she was just unbelievable the things that she did with them. And I never used being hearing impaired to get a job. I never mentioned it in interviews. And my career was in big pharma initially. Mm -hmm. I worked for Eli Lilly and I was very successful as a pharmaceutical rep. Um, Mm -hmm. Partly I have... um, a little bit of a quirky personality <laughs> as you figured out probably with how I introduced myself to you, yes. but I was, I was very quirky with physicians. And so mm-hmm. I could get away with having a hearing loss because it was short-term contact and it didn't really matter if I missed things that were said, because again, it was short-term, short-term contact Right. And then I found myself getting promoted into oncology, which was a little bit more important that you heard. Mm-hmm. And I got found myself number one in the country, got promoted to the inside, which was Indianapolis corporate. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really changed because I learned the hard way. And this was something that I didn't learn until years after, after I had left the corporate environment, that what we do as hearing impaired individuals, we do compensatory behaviors that are perceived by others as inappropriate, aggressive, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. incompetent. Mm. And we don't know that we're doing it. So, so what's one of those behaviors that that you maybe used that sure. uh, you later learned that maybe someone took the wrong way? Mm-hmm. So, for example, we interrupt a lot mm-hmm. because people think we're done. Mm-hmm. We are terrified of using the phone. Mm-hmm. terrified of using the phone so what do we do we email what is that perceived as a legal document so we are <laughs> legally documenting our mistakes right other yeah. people are having conversations about what is the status of that project oh my gosh we're behind schedule or we dropped the ball here those conversations aren't recorded but gee, mm-hmm. mine are. Or right. you're at a social function with, you know, an after, uh, I guess, what would it be called a thought leader function? Mm-hmm. And 
you may be holding that same glass of wine the entire evening. And as you know, we're trying to hear ourselves through brain, through bone conduction. Mm-hmm. And the sound level gets louder and louder and louder. And there Suzanne is shouting mm-hmm. with that glass of wine. And what is the perception? <laughs> Suzanne is drunk. Yes. yes. Suzanne is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Right. What else do we do? We touch people. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to get their attention. We want them to look at us. So what is the mm-hmm. perception? Assuming a relationship that we haven't earned. Right. But I, at the time, was like everybody else. And I didn't know the things that I know now. And it took me years after I left. And when I became a hearing instrument specialist on my own, that I started to really Look at what happened. How did that fall apart? Mm-hmm. Because I was looking at it as what I called unintentional or unintended discrimination in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, what is my part in that? What are mm-hmm. the things that I did? And I began to see that. We have behaviors that we do. And so one of the things I do now with people is I try to educate them and I try to get them solutions. And one of the books, and I think this was the book that I was um, trying to write. And it's a, it's a complicated book to write. And it's one of those books that, you know, you're struggling to write and you're struggling to write and you can't quite get it where you want it to be, but it's, it's basically how do you promote in that corporate environment when you're hearing impaired? And actually it's the exact same thing that corporate HR does to let go of an individual. It's um, what is the term used? It's um, progressive discipline. So basically, it's reverse Mm. engineering progressive discipline. Interesting. So, yes. So it begins in the beginning. Should you tell a potential employer that you are hearing impaired? Well, yes or no. It really Mm -hmm. depends. People do discriminate. I hate to tell you, but they do Mm -hmm. discriminate. If there's an equal candidate they're going to sit there and they're going to say, hmm, because people don't understand hearing loss. Mm -hmm. I still get discriminated against. Sure, They do not understand hearing loss. I have Mm -hmm. a handicap, permanent handicap sign because I also have had many concussions and I can, I have balance issues and I can, I just got stitches out of my chin last week because I lost my balance and landed on the pavement in front of lots of people, of course, but um, I have learned to fall so that I maintain my face because I kind of like it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'd rather hit my chin, Mm -hmm. but you know, people discriminate against that. What she looks normal. She looks normal. 
you know, right. why does she have a handicap thing? And a hearing impaired person looks normal and they have right. ears. So what did I have this thing against my head? You know, right. so, you know, and so in the work environment, people do the same thing. So what one has to do is once they're hired, you sit down with HR and you say, I'm hearing impaired. And one of the things that's wonderful about your company is that you provide reasonable accommodation. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that phone with the captions. That right. is, that's awesome. Now let's talk about social access. Mm -hmm. There are certain places at the boardroom that are the best hearing place for me, and I need your help. So mm -hmm. I need to sit in that middle seat with my back against the wall. So that's got to be Suzanne's seat. And mm -hmm. I'm going to need your help and support so that everybody knows that Suzanne's seat. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to miss a lot. And of course, if you miss a lot, then you go and you make mistakes, right? Right. Because you think they said one thing and they said something else. Right. But then you go down your dance and you're perceived as the bull in the china shop that does whatever the heck they want to do, right? right. So that's one thing. Um, also, the best note taker in the room gets to sit next to you. And mm -hmm. after the meeting, you get a copy of their notes because mm -hmm. regardless, you're always going to miss something, mm -hmm. you know, so different types of strategies that get recorded ahead of time so that when performance reviews come along, it isn't like, you know, you touch customers on the shoulders and that's inappropriate. It's like, well, that's been recorded as things that hearing impaired do. Right. Right. So exactly. it can't be used against you. So those are some tactics, because mm -hmm. I tell you, I I go on a lot of the Facebook groups and there is tremendous fear and anxiety with people. About. When when they're first hearing impaired and they don't know what to do. They mm -hmm. don't know how to approach it in the workforce. They're afraid and they're trying to hide it. And for myself, even though people knew I was hearing impaired, I can pronounce sounds that I can't hear. Mm -hmm. And that's because I studied speech pathology, mm -hmm. right? So people thought, oh, she does so well. Well, not really. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> my speech discrimination when I had hearing aids was like 20%. Wow. So, yes. So I lived with this tremendous anxiety and I projected it on people and I thought mm -hmm. everybody hated me. So then mm -hmm. I developed this insecurity, right? right? And, you know, people who who had less self-awareness, the hiding that they're doing and the fear that they're going through, and there isn't anybody who's telling them what to expect. 
and the people right. who are big advocates right now, the people that they're really helping are the people who have been hearing impaired for a while, you know, who already have hearing aids, who have been living with this condition and they're learning strategies now. But those newcomers into hearing loss, um, they're the ones I think that are in that anguish Mm-hmm. Because they're still accepting it. They're still, I mean, I've seen things in some of these forums where people's receivers have broken and they mm-hmm. ask, can I just tape them back together? Mm-hmm. You know, just things like that. Or I was at my audiologist's office and it sounded good there. And I got home and it doesn't sound good. I guess that's the way it's supposed to sound. Mm-hmm. And I'll be up till two o'clock in the morning typing, you know, no, mm-hmm. that's not how it's supposed to sound. Write right. down everything that you hate about your hearing aids, every instance, every location, every, and go back because mm-hmm. otherwise what happens. And I mean, I'm a hearing instrument specialist. My clientele is only. I only see Medicare Advantage patients in my mobile practice. So I only basically work with senior citizens. But mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. But um, sometimes I lose my train of track. Concussion theory <laughs> exhibited. <laughs> we talk about, you talk about, you know, the learning brain. Sure, um, sure. So... Yeah, every once in a while, just. Well, let me let me ask you about your hearing loss, because you, you showed me that you you have technology now. You mentioned having hearing aids and uh, going to House Ear Institute. And then and so now you have what? So how, how did you get? Yeah. So talk about that journey of going from hearing aids to your current technology. Well. I was in the gray zone for five years and I fought for hearing aids. Mm -hmm. Um, My first evaluation was with a very famous name, uh, Dr. Miyamoto, Mm -hmm. who is retired now, wonderful man. Mm -hmm. And I just, my PTA was 84 At the time, it had to be 85 or higher. Mm -hmm. And my word discrimination, I think, was like 50. And so it was not great. Mm -hmm. Not great at all. And so, you know, half the time I was. I used to always tell people before my concussions that I used to be brilliant. Now I'm just smart. (laughs) <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because and the, the truth is, though, when you work in pharma at the level that I was working with these amazing scientists and such, it wasn't until I left those environments that I realized I truly was working with brilliant people. So I think that kept me a lot sharper. Um, but 
for five years I tried. And then it wasn't until I was a hearing instrument specialist myself where I knew those words backwards and forwards. You can put them in any order. And mm-hmm. I was so good at it. I would heard I would hear a off like a baseball, ooh, a toothpaste, you right. know. And it wasn't until an audiologist finally said, stop saying what you know the word to be. <laughs> and you've got to force your brain to just say what you actually hear. Mm-hmm. And I qualified instantly. It was like 12% in one ear and mm-hmm. like 18% in the other ear. You know, so my speech discrimination was just truly horrible. So, and it was actually interesting because I, I got bilateral implants Mm -hmm. together with no argument from insurance companies because I had done everything. I had done FM, I had done um, Bluetooth, external microphones, you know, every technology there was. And I was so motivated. I was so motivated. And that's been three years. And it's interesting because implants were made for speech mm-hmm. and listening, but they weren't made for music. Mm. And some people never gain their music ability. And music has been very much screeching (laughs) until recently yeah recently all of a sudden this little switch went off in my brain Mm -hmm. yes and now all of a sudden i can hear and understand songs from the 80s oh nice yeah which were the songs i used to listen to that's when i stopped listening (laughs) me too actually (laughs) yeah me too like Today's music, well, I don't know. Even my 18-year-old son says it's not music, so. (laughs) (laughs) You raised him right. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. So the the process, you, you, when I'm, people talk about getting implants, I'm very clear with them that it is, it's a big decision because it's just, Mm -hmm. there's no going back. Right. You know, there's no going back and it's not the same as hearing aids. Um, Hearing aids today can really get down into that severe loss and into Mm -hmm. the profound loss. Um, So it's really, I think, a last resort. Mm -hmm. I tell people, if you can sit in a place where you're st- you have someone on the left to you and someone on the right to you, and there's some background noise and you can hear reasonably well what's going on, stick with what you got. Because hearing aids have better noise control mm-hmm. than implants. They really do. Right. Well, let's let's talk about the other project you've you've worked on, and that's this uh, wonderful book that you sent me. Have a, have it open on my other screen here, uh, Eddie the Elephant's Magical Ear. So when so obviously you're 
talking about hearing loss in the book and and you have your own personal experience but when did you decide that oh i'm going to i'm going to write a book about you know about eddie and this is the message i'm going to send when when did the idea for the book come along well, it was when God put the words in my head, to be quite <laughs> honest, because I was trying to write this other technical book. And all of a sudden in my head, I heard Eddie is an elephant. And I went, okay, then mm-hmm. he's not mm-hmm. a big elephant. He's not a little elephant. I'm like, okay. And I wrote the first version in 20 minutes. Oh, wow. And then it took me seven months. Yes. It took me seven (laughs) months then to rewrite it so that all of the verses rhyme like a Dr. Seuss book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the the illustrations, which, I mean, I'm not an illustrator, but I just got these crazy ideas for, you know, an elephant with his ear falling off and hitting the concrete (laughs) and the concrete breaking you right. know and a trumpet with eyes blaring into his ear you know and right. it was that was so much fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it was a children's book and it took much longer to write than i had planned that first version was super easy but that was just kind of like the idea of it and right. i was also fortunate to I'm very good at picking people that I respect and going after them. And in this mm-hmm. case, it was Gail Hannon, mm-hmm. who she and Shari Eberts recently mm-hmm. wrote a book about living skillfully with hearing loss. And right. I kept sending it to her and she kept criticizing it and sending it back. <laughs> and I kept sending it to her. She kept sending it back. And and she finally put her stamp of approval on it. And one of the things she said is, you, you know, you've got to talk about noise-induced hearing loss. And mm. what it did for me was it made me realize that there's no one really advocating for kids. It was like me. Mm -hmm. You got that hearing test when you were in grade school. And then my, it's like my patients. I say, when was your last hearing test? They said, well, I don't know, like, you know, maybe grade school. (laughs) Right. You know, so they get their hearing test when they're grade school, and then they don't show up till 60 years later when they're in my office. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. where's that ball dropping? Right, right. Right. And it's because hearing loss is not in our medical model. Mm -hmm. It's not like you get an annual physical or your eyes checked every year. It's Mm -hmm. just, and that's one of the reasons why nobody wants to pay for hearing aids. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And and it's sort you of know. like you've experienced is sort of that invisible disability. Well, you, you know, you look normal, you know, you look fine. So you must be fine. So it must be, oh, she's drunk. She's, you know, has all these other issues. It's not, oh, she has a hearing loss. Um, so right. it's, uh, it's that invisible disability that uh, so many people talk about. Right. And that's why Eddie, he comes along and he remembers what it was like to hear Mm -hmm. and he misses it and Mm -hmm. he wants it back. Mm 
you know, and so he finds his ear and he accepts help, which is a big one. He accepts the help. Right. And, you know, the the itsy bitsy spider sews Eddie's ear back onto his head with a thread from his web. Mm-hmm. Right. And Eddie's first impulse is, okay, this is going to fix it. Am I going <laughs> to be able to hear? Right. Well, sorry. You know, that $20 little thing from Walmart. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not going to fix your ear. There's no easy answers because we all want those easy answers. Right. We all want to pretend that our lives have not changed, but right. they have. Sure. And so he goes on and he finds that magical bright blue hearing aid. And for Eddie, there's no stigma because it gives him back that gift of sound. There's no Mm -hmm. stigma. And that's part of the beauty of it because one of the reasons that adults don't get hearing aids, I've had people who are like 60, 70 years old who go, Oh, no, I can't wear a hearing aid. They're not for me. Mm-hmm. See, have you ever worn a hearing aid? No, but it'll make me look mm-hmm. old. It's like, well, you oh. are old for one, you know. <laughs> right. And I mean, I'm old. I'm going to be 60, you know, going in, in a year or two. I'm going to be I'm 58. I'm going to be 59 this year. You know, I'm considered a senior citizen, right? So you look, you look more old to people when you give a stupid response to a question that hasn't been answered or asked. Right. It's like when my husband comes in and he says, he says, there's a lot of nails up there. And I say, well, you have a lot of nails in the garage. And he goes, <laughs> no, that's not what I said. There's a lot of hail out there. And I go, oh, did it do any damage to the car? And he comes over to me sitting on the couch and he unceremoniously drops a pile of mail on my lap. Uh-huh. And I go, oh. That's actually a true story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we look more stupid when we do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it, my my wife's uh, grandmother was 84 years old and she would not wear a hearing aid because it, like you just said, made her look old. Now she had a cane. She had a walker. She had all this other stuff. That was fine. But the hearing aid was a bridge too far. See, and the other book that I'm writing is um, that actually, this book is actually closer to the table here. It's it's called "They Don't Squeal Anymore." They are not your grandma's healing aids. <laughs> I and like it. I like people, it. It's cute, actually. And when people think of hearing aids, it's the first thing they think of. Grandma's mm-hmm. hearing aids. My grandma had a hearing aid, and oh my gosh, you could hear from across the room. Right. And they don't realize that hearing aids are so tiny Mm -hmm. that it's the in the ear customs. Those are the ones that are much more visible. Right, right. Yeah, the technology, both with hearing aids and cochlear implants have just, you know, it's just so far advanced and even five years ago. Oh, yeah. People go, is it on? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, well, I can't hear it squeal. I said, well, well, just because it squeals doesn't even mean that it that it that is working correctly if it squeals. Right. right. Means something is wrong. You know, are you hearing better? Well, I think I am. I'm not sure. 
well, let's mm-hmm. test your work discrimination. But gee, you went from like 25% right to 86% right. I think you're hearing better. And they want to take it out and they want to put it in and they want to take it out. and They want to take their old one in and they, you know, and I go, no, that's not how it works. The brain has plasticity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I tell them, it's like if a road, the road that all that construction was happening on, what do you do? You learn to avoid that road Mm -hmm. because you've had bad experiences going down that road. So you stop going down that road. And then mm-hmm. when that road opens up, are you going to go down that road again? Well, no, not till Bill, Joe, and Eddie, and Fred, and Susan, <laughs> and Sandy have gone down that road. Then right. maybe you'll try going down that road. And that's the same way it is. Your brain has to, like, lay down new neural pathways. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. It's not going to be tomorrow, okay, I think this thing works, or next week. It takes a good several months, six months or so before your brain has really restored itself and has maximized the ability to really generate the full extent of what it can do with that hearing aid. Right. Well, well Suzanne, I, I'm wondering about, and go back to Eddie in the book, What do you have plans for more adventures with Eddie? Yeah, I do actually. I think um, you know, someone someone suggested something which at first I didn't really I was like, well, I don't know. But you know, the idea that, well, okay, what happens now? You know, what happens when Eddie steps on his hearing aid or mm. you know when um he needs to get adjusted or his hearing mm-hmm. changes, how will he know? And those type of things. Or right. uh he comes across someone, another, I would like to keep it with animals, you know, mm-hmm. another animal that might need help. And how can he educate that individual? Or I had an idea of Eddie going to the letter factory, you know, and mm-hmm. learning about different letters. And um, you're talking about more like speech pathology, getting into that, but in a fun mm-hmm. way. My whole idea with all of this is to, how do you take something that is complex and make it simple, mm-hmm. right? And going back to stigma, um, the book is also for parents because it's, I used to work for Anthony Robbins years ago. When mm-hmm. That was like actually my first job working for Anthony Robbins. And you think about, well, how do you get inside somebody's head and do what's called a pattern interrupt, change the way they think? Mm-hmm. Um, and you make it very simple. If you go and you make an explanation way too complex, they're not going to be able to comprehend it right but if you have like a a, the parent comes home with hearing aids they're not going to be able to explain it that's why always you want two people you want both parents or both adults to come to the audiology appointment in the first place and I used to always think oh that's just people's you know wanting to sell No, Mm -hmm. it's because if the one comes home and says, I have a hearing loss, and let me try to explain this audiogram, 
it's not going to happen. And the same Mm -hmm. thing's true with explaining to your child, what's that thing behind your ear, mom? Well, let me read you Mm -hmm. a story. It's much simpler. And I think it's the same thing with, um, with all of it, whether it's how do you pronounce a letter correctly? It's rather than explaining it, it's the letter factory. You take mm-hmm. your, instead of paschetti, you say smile mm-hmm. and be a snake. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's taking difficult concepts and making them very simple and fun and light hearted. Right. right. And you get a much better response. Sure. Sure. So that's kind of what I want to do with Eddie is he's, he's adventurous. He's endearing. Um, like I say, who doesn't love an elephant? Exactly. Right. And an yeah. elephant with magical ears. You know, yeah. what I did find out though, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who don't like spiders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some people will fear spiders. That's for sure. Yeah. So I guess well, I should stay away from the next one, which I had been thinking about was a bee, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, and, you know, the Dalmatian dogs, many of them are born deaf. That's why, yeah. <clears throat> that's why, you know, used to see the, you know, Dalmatians uh, with fire trucks because those were the deaf yes. uh, Dalmatians. So, so maybe Eddie could meet a Dalmatian who's not hearing well. That's true too, actually. <laughs> that's a good point too. Yeah. That would be good, actually. It's kind of ironic because I'm thinking like, you know, marketing a book is actually, um, it, it, it takes, it's, it's not the easiest thing. There's like mm-hmm. 200,000 books written every year, which is crazy. Right. That, yeah. And the other day I drove past a fire station. I thought, well, gee, now that's an idea because they do all this public service stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've hit just like my wall, my wall, my head against the wall with school systems, mm-hmm. which is so surprising. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out because that would be an ideal place. But I thought, oh, fire stations, you know, they go and they do presentations and, you know, mm-hmm. why not kind of create an affiliation with a fire station? So I'll just go have to get a Dalmatian and there an you go. elephant from the zoo and, and I'll march. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Suzanne, it's been great having you on today. And and so how can people get a copy of of Eddie? And let me get it right. Eddie, the Elephant's Magical Ear is the name of the book. And how can they get a copy of that? And then maybe if they wanted to reach out to you, how can they do that? Great, great question. Thank you. Um, so the book is available on Amazon.com. And it is available on Kindle as well as um, the paperback edition. And what's nice about the Kindle edition is it actually gives you several pages that you can actually read. 
So that's that's actually a really nice thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just getting ready to put out the Spanish English translation because there are many, many kids in this country who speak English and Spanish, whereas maybe their Mm -hmm. parents only speak Spanish. So I wanted it to be available in that format. And the other thing that um, I'm just about ready to put forth is a coloring book that'll take all of the illustrations and it'll be available as a coloring book. So the idea being we can do like something in a school system or library or just a book event or something where we can talk about differences just in general and inclusion and things like that. And kids can do their drawings in the coloring book and we can talk about how, okay, you used green, you used blue, you used purple. We're all different. Well, Eddie's different too. And Mm -hmm. read the book together and have the conversation, have parents there because it's really a tool. You know, it's a tool Mm -hmm. to open up conversations to whether it be hearing disabilities, other type of disabilities, or how do we accept and include people who are different in our lives? And how can we how can we be of service to other people as well? So there's a lot of lessons there. Right. I agree. I agree. And you've, you've captured oh. all of that in the book. Yes. Yep. So people can um, contact me by my website, which mm-hmm. is uh, org. Good. And my email is very similar. It's at homehearingservices at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, Suzanne, good luck with everything. And I hope to see uh, Eddie uh, on lots of adventures going forward. And you'll have to come back and give us an update on on all of Eddie's adventures. Well, that would be great. And I, I can't tell you how much I've had fun here today with you, Todd. And it's just been a privilege. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you again, Suzanne, for joining me on the podcast. And I really appreciate learning more about Eddie the Elephant's magical ear. And more importantly, learning about you and your advocacy. Keep up the wonderful work that you're doing and just keep plugging away because we need more people like you creating more awareness about hearing loss. So thank you for all of your work. And thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us attract new listeners and new subscribers. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. (laughs) 